Welcome to Adventure. If you're visiting, I'm Scott. I'm one of the pastors on staff. And this morning, we're going to begin a four-week series on relationships. Relationships as it relates to friendships. Uh, Relationships especially if you're considering getting married someday. Maybe you're engaged now. And relationships if you're married. If you're married, uh, I'm going to try to equip you to really invest more in your marriage. For the first time in the last uh, week, I started watching uh, Downton Abbey and uh, saw my, I'm only up to episode uh, three of season one, and I was just mortified to see that uh, Lady Mary Crowley uh, really fell into a fatal attraction with uh, a uh, Turkish diplomat. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Oh, so disappointing. <laughs> I don't know what is ahead, but I'm afraid that uh, that fatal attraction is going to trip her up for a long time. Fatal attractions do have that capacity, fatal attraction. How many of you remember that movie, (laughs) Fatal Attraction? How many vowed to never see it again? (laughs) They're deadly. Do you remember that bunny rabbit that died in the film? Yeah, neither do I. Uh, But it, it was a film that reminded you that attraction can be fatal. Today, though, I don't want to focus on the negative. Today, I want to focus on the positive. I want to talk about faithful attractions. Faithful attractions. I'll be in the Song of Solomon. It may be a book you've never read before. It's in the uh, Old Testament. If you came this morning without a Bible, raise your hand. We'll get you one. It's on page 770 of our Adventure Bibles. And uh, we're going to walk through this book uh, this month. Um, And you're just going to get to... Get some great ideas on your friendships, on relationships. Now, when it comes to dating, I think uh, maybe some of you have had success with online dating. I have a couple friends who found the love of their life on online dating. I have other friends who've not had as much success with online dating. Uh, with With your permission, I want to share a couple dishonest posts that sometimes you'll see with online dating. If a guy says, hey, uh... I, I'm the cuddly type. What that means is he's 40 pounds overweight and he's got a back like a grizzly bear. If, if a woman says, hey, I'm 40-ish, that means she's 48. If, if she says, uh, I, I like romance, that means she looks better in candlelight. If, uh, if, a guy, if a guy says, hey, I'm 40-ish, that means he's 52 and he's looking for a 25-year-old. And uh, if a guy says, I'm the... I'm the uh, I'm, I'm the, um, the honest type, uh, the straightforward type. That means he has not um, been caught off parole in 90 days and uh, is good to go. We can, be, we can overemphasize things online, and sometimes people benefit from online dating. Sometimes they don't. We have a couple, few, several couples in our church that have met online and uh, have had great courtships. They've gone through our premarital class uh, with our mentors and are enjoying uh, like Job experienced, the second half of their life is better than the first. And uh, we, we rejoice with this kind of ability that uh, marriage can give uh, to all of our families. Well, we're going to look at uh, the words of Solomon that he wrote. He was the, sec- the third king of Israel. And uh, he and his bride, a Shulamite, uh, looked back on their marriage and they wrote, Uh, What brought them together? What were the qualities of a faithful attraction? And that's what I want to answer today. The qualities of a faithful attraction. Because there's plenty of fatal attractions. 
that we're vulnerable to, whether we're married or unmarried. You're going to be vulnerable to them the rest of your life. And so you want to protect yourself. Uh, it, uh, I think, will stand to reason. You'll understand why. I, I asked my wife to put this first verse in the Song of Solomon to memory. Here it is. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Uh, we're working on that uh, scripture memory work in our home uh, so that I get lots of kisses at home. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, Solomon and his, his bride look back on four qualities of what brought them together and kept them together. I think it has application outside of just marriage. It has application in friendships as well. It begins with this. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the maidens love you. And so the bride here is talking about the beloved. She likens him to perfume. Doesn't seem like a real compliment. But if you look carefully, she's using perfume as a metaphor. Uh, In the first century, people didn't have access to bathing frequently. And so perfumes were, uh, were purified and prepared so that they could provide uh, an individual with a great scent. Uh, whenever they weren't, didn't have access to a bath, uh, weren't able to bathe. And she is likening that great scent to the name, to the character of uh, the groom. She is drawn to his name. His, the character that goes with his name. Not the odor, but rather the character that goes with his name. Uh, what brings, what God, when God brings a couple together, it's often character that he uses. It's the highest value, really, in a relationship, character. Uh, Jesus said it, seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness. As you do that, it will draw you close to People, to friends, it'll draw you close to someone you may spend the rest of your life with. Uh, I remember the first time I met Melissa, and I was, I'd never heard a southern accent, I thought, in my whole life, and uh, I was so impressed that, by this smart gal who wasn't interested in me at all, and I just was like, wow, this is, uh, this is, this is a special lady. It was her character that drew me, and her family commitment to serving uh, their family commitment to doing what was right required that I raise the bar a little bit. I had to ask her dad's permission for her hand, his daughter's hand in marriage, but it didn't stop there in the South. He let me know that her brothers also wanted to be asked for permission to marry their sister. And they were not, you know, uh, these both were military guys, both bigger than I am, one of them considerably stronger, faster, and smarter than I am. And uh, I had to take them out. Uh, it was in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And I said, hey, can I talk to you guys? They knew what the talk was about. And they're like, yeah, whatever. And uh, walk outside. I remember taking them both out and telling them why I thought I was qualified to marry their sister. Somehow I passed. Uh, but I was honoring their name. Honoring their name. Uh, when this couple looked back on their relationship, they recognized that it was, uh, it, was, it was a godly character that brought them together. Let me just ask, when's the last time you've uh, recognized or honored uh, the family name or, or your wife or your husband or your friend's um, character and said, you know what I love about you is uh, your work ethic. You're an amazing worker. Or you identified your discipline, <laughs> your, your punctuality. 
um, your, your ability to work ceaselessly. Uh, I'm sometimes amazed. My wife will work a full day's work, uh, which is a, usually she gets up a little earlier than me and works a little later. It's just that's the lot I drew. And she'll come home, and it's restful for her to make dinner. As long as I do dishes, she gets it done. I'm amazed by that kind of character. When's the last time you pointed out to your spouse or to a friend, uh, if you're not married, to a dear friend and said, hey, I see you performing at a level that is like here. It's amazing to me. And just identified character in their life as a, a real differentiating, differentiating mark. Uh, character is what will keep a couple together uh, throughout a, a, a long marriage relationship. It's what keeps friends together. Character, uh, honesty, um, gut honesty. And that's what drew uh, this Shulamite and Solomon together. Uh, your name, it's popular among the maidens. Character. Second was uh, a godly trust. And the uh, the beloved uh, begins to describe her own insecurities here. And any relationship, there's going to be insecurities, stuff that you don't want to share uh, right up front. Uh, she slowly starts to share some of the stuff that's hard on her. And she shares this. She says, uh, um, dark I am, yet lovely. O daughters of Jerusalem, dark like the tents of Keter, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I'm dark, because I'm darkened by the sun, my mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of them, take care of their vineyards, my own vineyard I've neglected. So here's a day and age when being tan and look, looking like you just spent, you know, an afternoon in a tanning booth wasn't popular. It wasn't the goal to look like, uh, you know, a leather suitcase. Uh, the goal was actually to look like you hadn't been in the sun, uh, that you hadn't had to work excessive hours exposed to the harshness of the sun. And uh, she just says, hey, um, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say that I'm sorry I'm so dark. It's, it's a point of insecurity for her. And I think you'll find in any marriage relationship, I think you'll find even in any friendship, there'll be areas where, hey, that's a sensitive issue. You know it is for me. Uh, and you'll, as you grow close to your friend or uh, your spouse, especially as you get engaged, you'll learn, hey, you know what? That's a sensitive, don't, don't tease me about that. Okay, don't. <laughs> you got to be careful with that one. And what I think is cool that in time, you'll find that as, as, as you build trust, that you're going to be given the esteemed privilege of breathing and speaking nourishment and encouragement and healing into an area in someone's life that was a wound. Uh, you're going to have that treasure. And it's awesome. I'm speaking on the other side of year 10, year 20, uh, to be able to... Continue to be trusted with insecurities. Uh, one, and it's not an insecurity for my wife. It's just something she never thinks about. <laughs> and it's that of being a, a beautiful woman. When she was raised, she really was a worker. Uh, she was very effective in school. Uh, effective. She got a 4-0 throughout. <laughs> and uh, she just really was very accomplished in a lot of ways. But looking like a hottie wasn't her number one goal. It's just, uh, it just wasn't. And so when I tell her, you are beautiful, my word, she looks at me like, what, what are you on? Why, why are you talking to me like that? Like, that's not rational. Like, you're hallucinating. And it's just taken a while before she's starting to really believe it. 
And I love it. It's a joy. Uh, it, it, you may have a, a spouse with an insecurity or more. Uh, it's so fun to see them lighten up and just feel loved and healed, whatever it is. Let me ask you, as it relates to trust uh, with a dear friend, what are you doing to put yourself in a position to earn trust with some of the insecurities that your spouse or dear friend has? Do you tend to look for an opening to maybe hurt them? I hope not. Instead, do you look for an opportunity to build more trust, to encourage them, to love them, uh, to be there for them, to not be critical, uh, just to embrace whatever it is uh, with love, compassion, care? Uh, this couple looked back and they said, you know what? Our relationship was built on, uh, a, on character. Our relationship was built on trust. Uh, the third piece is their relationship was built on a standard, a moral standard. They committed to some moral standards. Check this out. In verse 7, uh, Tell me, you whom I love, where you graze your flock and where you rest your sheep at midday. Why should I be like a veiled woman? Because beside the flocks of your friends. Why should I be like a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends? Uh, what she's saying, she's speaking to the idea that some of Solomon's friends, shepherds, shepherd friends, were uh, customarily followed by a woman with a veil on that was there to offer uh, them her services, her intimate services, uh, at their convenience for some unknown commodity, uh, and this Shulamite woman saying, hey, I don't need a veil. There's nothing to hide here. We have an open, transparent, uh, upright relationship. There's nothing we're embarrassed about. Uh, we're, we've made a commitment in our relationship, a commitment to integrity. And uh, I would ask you, have, have you in your relationships, whether you're single or married, I think these, these line items of uh, moral standards are important. Uh, have you identified some stuff that you just will not do in relationships? Have you identified your, your will nots and maybe, maybe even identified? Here, here's some to consider. Uh, I will not, in any sort of relationship, compromise my relationship with God. I won't. He's going to be first all the time. Uh, in friendships, the context of just good old boy friendships, hanging out with the fellas, hey, I'm going to enjoy food and beverage, but I'm not going to gorge myself. Um, in relationship with the fellas, if other guys want to swear around me and cuss around me, do it. <laughs> I'm not going to be judgmental to you, but I'm not going to do it. Uh-uh. I, I really believe uh, Peter's teaching when he says, He who wishes to love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his speech from deceit. So I don't, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I really believe that God watches the words I use. And I actually think it takes more effort to wordsmith what you're going to say with careful English literature rather than just belt it out. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so uh, I want to be careful with my words. <laughs> and the same standards that I had when I was dating Melissa are the same standards I have now. When I was dating Melissa, we didn't hang out in the house by ourselves alone. <laughs> Although there was a day or two I wanted to. Uh, we, we, <laughs> we didn't. We... we uh, we didn't, and we, we protected ourselves. Uh, we really wanted to have a special night uh, for, on, on our first night together. Uh, we made a commitment also. We didn't speak. Uh, we never went to our parents and said, well, you never believe what, what kind of 
you know, first year I'm having with uh, Scott Matthews, <laughs> although I gave ample information that could have been available. We never told our parents what a, what a struggle it was to be married to one another. I wouldn't have had anything to say, uh, but we just protected our parents from our relationship and us from an unhealthy dependency. The scripture says that a, a father, a, a husband, would leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife. There's got to be, uh, before there'll be authentic cleaving, there's got to be leaving. And a lot of times we can have unhealthy relationships with our parents where they're involved in our stuff too much. We, that we've got to separate that. We made that decision. Uh, don't go to the parents. Don't complain. And these were standards we developed and still practice today. And in fact, you might think some of those standards are a little, you know, old-fashioned. Oh, I, I totally disagree. Uh, I think as a married man, it's very important that I'm not in a room alone with any woman except my wife. <laughs> that I'm not out to lunch with any woman except my wife. <laughs> I do. Uh, and I have friends that have thought that was a little old-fashioned. And guess what? Some of them have paid a price for it. I just think we've got to be try to do the best we can to protect ourselves from uh, fatal attractions and instead pursue faithful attractions. Faithful attractions. This couple was committed to a moral standard. And when you're committed to a moral standard, you're not judgmental on anybody else. You're free from the uh, liabilities of relationships. And I named this series, I thought appropriately, Love, Lust, and Litigation. Let me tell you, if you love God's way, you avoid the fatal attraction of lust and what can turn into a liability. <laughs> Ask someone who's been through uh, some tough litigation. It's expensive. It's costly. You don't want to fall into lust of relationships. All right. This couple was committed to a godly trust. They were also committed to uh, godly standards and finally, godly encouragement. They encouraged each other. Here it is, verse 9. I liken you, my darling, to a mare harnessed to one of the chariots of Pharaoh. Now, this might not be a line you used this afternoon. Uh, this mare uh, or a horse in the uh, first millennia, this is about 930 uh, B.C., uh, was considered divine-like. Any of Pharaoh's horses were considered divine. They were considered godlike. Um, they were typically white, gorgeous, and divine. What uh, Solomon is saying here is, you're, you're from God. You're excellent. You're, you're a slice of heaven for me. Uh, and we want to be able to say this about our spouse. We want to say this about even our dear friends. You're a gift from God. And the scriptures do say, land and houses are a gift from parents, but an excellent wife is from the Lord. Uh, we want to be able to have that view of our spouse. We want to be encouraging to our spouse. Here are some other words of encouragement. Uh, the beloved says, While the king was at his table, my perfume spread its fragrance. My lover is to me a sachet of myrrh resting between my breasts. I don't know what a sachet of myrrh is, but in my own home, I'm interested. Uh, in verse uh, 15, How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, beautiful you are. And then in verse 16, how handsome you are, my beloved. So you can, you can hear the words of encouragement constantly in the home. Words of encouragement. Let me just ask you, gut check. What's the ratio of your words? Encouraging or discouraging? <laughs> Uplifting or critical? What are the ratios? Are you 60% of the time I'm encouraging? 40% of the time I'm discouraging? <laughs> are you 90% of the time 
encouraging, 10% of the time discouraging? Really, what's your ratio? If you're with someone that you know, turn to them and and, uh, tell them what you think your ratio is right now. Go ahead. Encouraging to discouraging. No fights, please. We don't really have time. Encouraging to discouraging. Oh, some of you are wondering where you're at. You're at church. We're talking about marriage right now and uh, how we encourage or discourage each other. Okay? So this couple was encouraging towards one another. They talked about how beautiful they were. Let me just ask you, when's the last time you, you said to, uh, uh, first, let's pretend you're not married, to a friend and just said, hey, uh, I got to tell you, I told one of my friends this recently, what you're doing right now is amazing to me. I just, it's, I had no idea that that was wrapped in your heart to do this. Crazy gifted. Great job. When's the last time you gave an encouraging word like that? Honored somebody. Or in your own home where you just said to your spouse, honey, I don't know how you have the energy for all this, uh, but it's, it's so impressive. Or thank you so much for your hard work providing for our family. It's just been a gift. These are the kind of words that they shared. Uh, and don't you agree that we're all too stressed not to take time to encourage each other? <laughs> uh, a, a word inappropriately spoken at the wrong time, it can just be melt you, can't it? <laughs> Put, you, put a lot of pressure on you, stress you out. We don't want that. We want to be encouraging towards one another. Uh, when you're encouraging towards one another, the results are significant. Uh, what I believe is true is this. If you don't like what you see in someone else, look at what you say. If you don't like what you see, look at what you say. Because often what we say is creating the people around us. And so our words can go a long ways. Uh, we really want to guard them. I can tell you that I'm, uh, I'm, the, I'm the preacher that my wife wants to hear. <laughs> uh, her words of encouragement have been great for me. I'm the father that my wife wanted for her sons. Um, I'm the dishwasher my wife wants in the kitchen. She has described this. This is what she wants. Uh, she's the woman I want to spend time with. She's the, the worker She's the teacher. She's the mother that, that blows me away. Words of encouragement. And of my friends. I like being around my friends because they exemplify hard work. They exemplify perseverance. They exemplify discipline. They exemplify other-centeredness. You want to get those words out and encourage them. We need encouraging words. And ladies, let me tell you, we men, we do like encouraging words. <laughs> if ever we get tired of hearing from you, encouraging words will tell you, hey, just stop it. I'm just tired of all the positivity in our home. You just pour it on them. (laughs) We like encouraging words. Don't stop it. Uh, Keep encouraging us. This uh, this whole relationship between this husband and wife is uh, really, this husband is fighting for his bride. The groom is fighting for his bride. And I read recently in the book of Exodus about how God fights for us. Moses captured this well. Uh, He tells us in Exodus chapter 14, verses uh, 13 and 14. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, will, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. 
what about this idea that God fights for us? What about this idea that there's a time when things are out of our control where we need to just be still? Like a, like a bride would for her groom. She just needs to let the groom fight for her. Our God does this. He fights for us, especially in areas of our life that are not within our control. The greatest evidence of God fighting for us was when he sent his son Jesus in his, in his early 30s who willingly suffered death on that cross uh, as a substitutionary gift to us if we believed in what he suffered uh, was a substitutionary death for our sins, then we would get to live each and every day uh, completely pardoned by the power of the person who suffered, by the power of Jesus, his spirit living in us, helping to yield in us peace and joy, uh, love, uh, fearlessness, uh, self-discipline. This kind of good life happens when you are willing to be still and say, you know what, Christ, you, you died for me. You fought for me. I acknowledge that. If you've never made that decision, today I would ask you, what would, what would keep you from, from, from looking to Jesus and saying, hey, thanks for fighting for me. I surrender. I accept your effort to uh, reach out and die for me willingly. If you haven't made that decision, boy, I encourage you to make it today. I'll give you a chance to at the end of service. When you have a relationship like this couple did, built on godly character, built on a godly trust, godly standards, godly encouragement, look at the results. In the Song of Solomon, let's go to uh, chapter 2. Uh, first, uh, this bride feels special. She says, I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys, like a lily among thorns, my darling among, among the maidens. She feels special. Verse 4, he has taken me to the banquet hall and his banner over me is love. Uh, she feels cared for. She feels treasured. Uh, she feels like uh, when she's at his side and they're at uh, a nice restaurant, that he's proud of her, that uh, he is honored to be with her. Uh, she feels special. Those are the results of a faithful attraction. If you're in a relationship now and you're not feeling that, it could be a red flag. That maybe it's, uh, if you're married, <laughs> you, you need to sit down and have someone maybe speak into your relationship or start praying together. We believe couples who pray together stay together. Um, you need to feel special in your relationship. Very important. Uh, secondly, she not only feels special, um, she feels secure. Uh, where she used to be insecure about her own Pigment, her own dark pigment. She writes that uh, in, in, uh, in verse 3 and 4, like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my lover among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade and his fruit is sweet to my taste. Uh, great security here because she is, uh, she's resting in his leadership, his provision. Uh, she's trusting in him. And men, I'll tell you, as husbands are to be the pastor of our home. That's the, the guy who's willing to leave the 99 tasks before us and focus on whatever she needs from us. Uh, we're to be the protector of our home. <laughs> and I, I sometimes, I don't know if it's because of stress or what, I find myself kind of a little unnerved, unnerved a little bit uh, related to protecting my home. My kids work late. They come home often at 2 in the morning, 3 in the morning. <laughs> Last night, I'm sitting, I got up, I don't remember what time. No, 4 in the morning. 
And uh, my kids close at In-N-Out Burger, and so sometimes they're up after they get home from work. And I'm in the kitchen, and I'm looking out the window, and behind me, I see a shadow walk right behind me in the kitchen. And I responded like any protector of the home. Oh, my gosh, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just Jack. He was just in the fridge getting some food. No big deal. But I'm the protector of my home. <laughs> yeah. Robbers, uh, welcome. <laughs> I'm the pastor of my home. That means I, 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 I try to... Be with, pray with my kids, pray with my wife, uh, pray for my wife, pray for my kids. I'm the protector, and I'm the primary provider. That means uh, I, I want to be the guy who's uh, responsible for making the tough financial decisions, but also the one who signs off, hey, let's do this together uh, if we have a, a big opportunity. Um, that's the role I have. That's what I'm called to by God. Uh, we describe it as being the, the servant leader. My job's to to wash the feet of my spouse and uh, as best as I can. I think when this happens, it, it's going to create some great results. Uh, I thought uh, what I read 25 years ago, I found uh, recently. It was in Robert Fulgram's uh, Everything I Ever Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. Anyone ever read that uh, work? He writes, and I read this, no kidding, 25 years ago. I found it for the first time this week. He says, uh, oh, the Russians, they're a rotten lot, immoral, aggressive, uh, ruthless, coarse, and generally evil. They're responsible for most of the troubles of this world. They're not like us. Yeah, right. Uh, that's pretty much the summary of the daily news about the Russians. But something slips through the net of prejudice, some small bit of sign that's so clean and true and real that it wedges open the rusting iron curtain Long enough for us to see not an enemy, but a fellow traveler, joined to us by membership in the Fellowship of Joy and Pain. He was a sergeant major in the Russian army, 36 years old. He was stationed in Angola, a long way from home. His wife had come to visit him. On August 24th, South African military units entered Angola in an offensive against the black nationalist guerrillas taking sanctuary there. At the village of Engaiva, they encountered a group of Russian soldiers, Four were killed, and the rest of the Russians fled, except for Sergeant Major Pesrostov. He was captured. As we know, because the South African military communique said, Sergeant Major Nikolai Pesrostov refused to leave the body of his slain wife, who was killed in the assault on the village. It was as if the South Africans could not believe it. To the communique repeated the information. He went to the body of his wife and would not leave it, although she was dead. How strange. Why wouldn't he run and save his own hide? Uh, what made him go back? Is it possible that he loved her? Is it possible that he wanted to hold her in his arms one last time? Is it possible he needed to cry and grieve? Is it possible that he felt the stupidity of war? Yeah. Is it possible that he felt the injustice of fate? Is it possible that he thought of children, born or unborn? Is it possible that... He didn't care what became of him now. Is it possible? We don't know. Or at least we don't know for certain. But we can guess this, his actions answer. And so he sits alone in a South African prison. Not a Russian, not a communist, not a, not a soldier or an enemy, or any of those categories, just a man who cared for just one moment, just one woman. Just a time more than anything else. Here's to you, Nikolai, wherever you may go or be, forgiving 
most powerful meaning to the promises that are the same everywhere, for dignifying that covenant that is the same in any language, for better, for worse, in good times and in bad, in sickness and in health, to love and to honor and cherish until death. So help me God. You kept that faith. You kept it bright. You kept it shining. Bless you. The relationships we have, they're gifts from God. And they're really held together with godly character. They're held together by godly trust and godly encouragement. They're held together uh, and they bring special, uh, special moments where a bride feels like she's the most important thing in the world to a, to a groom. And they provide security when we do it. Uh, can you imagine you enjoying this kind of character in your life? This, is, this has nothing to do with your social economic background, your education. You can do this and have some of the greatest relationships possible. You may be here and kind of bitter, like, I don't have any great relationships. Well, I challenge you to take Jesus' word. He said this, seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. You just start following Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this example of a couple um, that modeled faithful attraction. We know that the words we say in our relationships can be damaging. Uh, what, we say can, uh, what we say can affect people around us. Help us embrace kind words, encouraging words today. If you're here and you've never made a decision to make Jesus the Lord of your life, to accept his having fought for you, I want to give you a chance to today, right from where you're seated, Uh, just to say, hey, God, I don't know what brought me here today, but uh, I want to accept that your son Jesus suffered for my sins on a cross. I want to accept that today and uh, make him the leader of my life. If you just prayed that prayer, I want to acknowledge your decision right from where you're seated. Uh, Would you just raise your hand and let me acknowledge that today was a moment for you where you made that decision. Anybody? Just raise your hand from where you're at. Anyone? Make Jesus the leader today of your life. Allow him to fight for you. Be still, not be afraid, and trust in him for the first time. Just raise your hand if that describes you today. Praise the Lord. I see your hand. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? Great. Lord, we, uh, we want great relationships. We don't want to fear. We want to trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.